Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Bothell Amplified. Pastor Joe here. Uh, this week at Bothell, we started Advent. Uh, we are starting the season one week earlier so that on Christmas Eve we can celebrate the fullness of Christmas Eve. Uh, but today we tackled the topic of hope, looking to Mark chapter 13, verses 24 to 37. Uh, check out the sermon here. But in those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather the elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or at cockcrow or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. Holy words for God's people. Great to be with you. My name is Joe. I get to serve as lead pastor here, and I'm so glad to be with you, worshiping with you here on site. And those of you who are joining us online uh, just before coming up, I saw New Jersey and Virginia and other places. We're so glad you're here with us this morning. Uh, a couple announcements before we get started. Um, as you heard, we are entering the season of Advent. We are a week early, but that's okay. It's going to work for us. Um, tomorrow, we're going to start our Advent studies. So tomorrow, 6.30 p.m., uh, Wednesdays at noon online, and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. So again, Monday night, 6.30, Wednesdays, 1 p.m., those are on site, and then online only, Wednesdays at noon. Uh, someone asked, what are we doing? And I said, I don't know yet, and I still don't. So show up and be surprised with me. How about that, yeah? Good. Um, also, uh, we have our longest night service on December 20 at 7 p.m., and so we hope you'll join us for that time of reflection and contemplation and a chance to uh, be still and to remember in the midst of a busy world. Um, Christmas Eve services, 9.30 a.m., 7 p.m., 11 p.m., and they'll all be a little bit different, so we hope you can come to at least one, uh, but come and spend time with us here, your church family, at any of those services. Um, and then as we look ahead to January, uh, you, some of you know we will be having two services uh, starting January, uh, 8.45, uh, which is going to be somewhat traditional, and 10.45, which will be somewhat contemporary. And I say somewhat because we don't know what those will mean yet either, but that's also okay. Um, and so uh, as we look to January, two services, uh, if you are interested in serving alongside us, uh, we are looking for folks who can help uh, 
prepare and serve coffee, those who can serve as greeters and ushers, and those who can help out in the AV booth. Uh, if you are interested, please let me know. And then a couple uh, uh, dates for you to keep on your calendar. Uh, charge conference is this Tuesday. This is the annual business meeting of our church. Our district superintendent uh, will be presiding uh, for us. And so uh, 7 p.m. this Tuesday. Uh, this Friday is our Friday first family, family first Friday dinner. And so if you have children from zero to, uh, I think, third grade, uh, if you would like to join together, um, let me know. You need to RSVP, and we'll get you the address of where that is as well. Uh, next Sunday is our cookie walk, uh, uh, sponsored by uh, our uh, United Women in Faith. So immediately after worship, uh, join us in the fellowship hall to take home some treats and to support a good cause. Uh, this Tuesday, December 5th, is Elder Fest uh, in the, uh, for lunch. And then that night, we'll have our pint night at 192 Brewing as well. And lastly, I do have an update from our uh, soon-to-be uh, uh, youth leader, uh, Jan C. Schrader. Uh, she and I talked uh, this week, and on January 7, uh, in between services, we're going to have a meet and greet for her. So uh, we'll, she'll be in the youth room um, and uh, get a sense of the space. Uh, if you are a youth or a parent of a youth or a family of youth and want to get to know Jancy, and even if you're not, just to welcome her, uh, we'd love for you to do that. So immediately uh, between the two services, um, we'll have Jancy uh, a chance to greet and meet Jancy uh, on January 7. I think that's it. So uh, this week, uh, I was doing shopping, um, <laughs> um, and uh, I was, uh, had my cart uh, full of my stuff for Thanksgiving, and uh, the person in front of me uh, kept look, turning around and, like, looking in my cart. And the first time, I thought it was nice. Like, it was, like, cool. You know, we're all kind of looking around and seeing. Um, she did it multiple times, and by the end of it, it, it felt a little judgy. It really did. <laughs> And she looked in there, and she goes, and so I make eye contact with her, right? I'm like, if you're going to say something, say something. I was a posturing myself. She's this nice little old lady. And I was, like, feeling really defensive. So I kind of posture said, can I help you? And she said, um, you don't have any turkey in there. And so I started getting even more defensive. Well, I mean, like, we don't really do turkey, and turkey's not something I enjoy cooking. And I started getting, like, really, like, uh, over-explaining, like, just kind of just saying stuff, you know. Um, Happy Tuesday! You know, I just kind of ended up just blabbering things. Um, and, and she stopped me, and she said, uh, she called me uh, honey. She goes, honey, I'm not judging you. I said, are you sure? And she goes, no, 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 I'm not judging you. I just wanted to check if you forgot something on your list, the turkey. <laughs> Uh, and we opened up this great conversation, uh, and it, uh, we ended up uh, talking for the rest of the day. It was a long line, and we ended up talking for the rest of the line and getting to know each other and sharing in some of our traditions. Um, but it was a really sweet moment that kind of reminded me of two things. One, um, just um, my own, uh, the ease of which I get defensive, and I postured myself, like, are you going to come at me or not, right? <laughs> that part wasn't supposed to be funny, but for those of you who know, <laughs> I guess, all right. Um, but it also reminded me that there is time and space for people to connect and to raise conversation, to, to make friends even in the shopping line. And by the end of the brief, you know, three, four, five minutes together, uh, I truly felt like I knew this person. And it was, it was a great opportunity. I may never see this person again, and that's okay. But in that little while, I felt really seen. And I felt like she wanted to get to know me, and I did the same. And so we want to, I just want to share that story as a way of us saying that this is why we do what we do. It's for moments like that, 
We gather once a week as a full community on Sunday mornings. We gather throughout the week as well as in different ministries and in different uh, programs and different studies and such. But when we do gather, we gather because we look for that moment of welcoming and belonging, that little bit of I feel seen, I know that I am loved. And I hope that you experience that throughout this morning as we gather for worship together. We want you to know that for exactly who God has created you to be, that you are welcome and that you belong. We want you to know that you are seen for exactly who you are, and we're so glad you're here. What that means for us is this. If you are gay or lesbian or transgender, bisexual or questioning, know that you are welcome, know that you belong. If you're black or brown or indigenous, or if you've been discriminated against because of the color of your skin, know that you are welcome, know that you belong. If you find yourself homeless or houseless or in the lower economic brackets of our community, if you're single or divorced or partnered or separated or widowed, know that you are welcome, know that you belong with all of your unique gifts and abilities created to be bearers of Christ's image to all the world. Know that you are welcome. Know that you belong. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's uh, pray together, and uh, I'll get into the sermon this morning. Let's pray. Holy One, be uh, present here and in all the places from which we are worshiping. Move in us and through us that we too would be moved and changed. Speak to us, we pray. Less of me, more of you. None of me, all of you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, I wonder if I've been doing Advent wrong all these years. Uh, let me explain what that means. Um, Advent, which, which comes from the Latin root for coming or arriving, it spans the four weeks before Christmas. It's intended for us to be a time to prepare for, to anticipate for, to expect the coming of Christ to the world, to live into the embodiment of hope and joy and peace and love. And that means we have to wait. Because if you look out into the world today, it sure feels like we're nowhere near living into the embodiment of hope and joy and peace and love. Right, there are major wars and conflicts all around us. This is Palestine, Israel, Ukraine, Russia, natural disasters uh, as we continue to harm this beautiful earth that we get to live on. There's increase in homelessness, increase in poverty, increase in rates of suicide, and so we wait, and we wait, and we wait. But what if we waited differently? Uh, there, there, there's one way of waiting. Think uh, Costco the day uh, before Thanksgiving. Not that I have any experience with this, but if you have that experience, think about waiting impatiently. Think about waiting with growing frustration. Think about waiting for what feels like the improbable or even the impossible. Or think about a child on Christmas morning waiting to open presents. Think a child waiting, counting down the hours to get in the car to go see grandma or grandpa. Think a child waiting in line for the merry-go-round at the Seattle Christmas market, seeing the lights, hearing the music, each step one step closer to picking out a horse or dragon or bear or ostrich or chicken. 
Jesus did say something about having faith like a child to not stop them from showing their love. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of heaven belongs. See, I wonder if we enter into the season of Advent uh, declaring to the world that Christ has come and that Christ will come again, yet we act as if we don't believe it ourselves. We wait not with anticipation, not with expectancy, but we wait with dread. We wait with fear, with, with heaviness, with hopelessness. And just to be clear, I, I'm not suggesting that we ignore the realities of the world. It's, it's the opposite, in fact. And we'll, we'll see that in just a few minutes as we dig into the text. All I'm saying is that there's also room for the gospel. There's also room for the good news that hope and peace and joy and love has come and the fulfillment of uh, that will come again. And I wonder if we might commit this season of Advent to a posture of anticipation. And I wonder what that would do for all of us in this season as we wait with hope. Okay? So we're we're in Mark, and uh, we need to start with some context. So we're going to go into Mark, and uh, Mark is the first of the four Gospels that were written. Uh, Most scholars dated to somewhere around the year 70 CE, and that's important. So for centuries, Judea has been under Roman rule. Judea uh, might sound familiar because that's where Jesus was born. It's also the region we now know as Palestine and Israel. But something happens in the year 66 CE. After years of of Roman imperialism, the, the local community begins to stir and rebel. They launch what is known as the Great Jewish Revolt or the First Jewish Roman War. And that goes on for seven years And it includes the destruction of the temple in the year 70 CE. So this is the world that Mark was writing in. If you missed that, it's the same date, 70 CE, yes? All right. (laughs) It felt a little, didn't land. It felt like it didn't land. So we're going to just be clear, 70 CE. Okay, this is the world that Mark is writing into. Uh, The first 12 chapters of Mark build to this point. It's to this long discourse, this long speech from Jesus. It spans all of chapter 13, and here's the first thing that he says. He, they, he, he and his disciples, they, they leave the temple, and he asks, do you see these great buildings? And he says, now one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. So this text, right, this, this Mark 13 text, must absolutely be read and understood as a direct response and in relation to the reality of the temple's destruction in 70 CE. While the rest of the gospel, the first 12 chapters, tell of the events that are happening 40 years earlier, during Jesus' time, Jesus' ministry, Jesus' life, around 30 CE, this text is written directly for the first century readers in 70 and beyond. And we call this kind of text crisis literature. Uh, There is something about any given moment, in this case, the, the destruction of the temple, calls into question the righteousness of God. And, and generally, in writing like this crisis literature or other apocalypse, 
apocalyptic text, it follows a simple formula. It's three steps. One, God is coming soon. Two, there's cosmic disturbances. And then three, it ends with the end of the world in judgment. This is how the text goes. What's fascinating about our text is that it doesn't follow this usual formula. Nowhere in the text is there uh, anything about an end-of-the-world judgment. Instead, there's this gracious gathering from the four corners, from the four winds. God is bringing people in, not casting people out. And there's something beautiful about that image. Perhaps there might be an anticipation for that kind of hope, a time and a space where God gathers people in when we gather each other in. Right? Maybe there could be this anticipation for the world where our Thanksgiving tables become a little bit bigger, where our churches become a little more open, where our world becomes a little more concerned about peace than who's right and who's wrong. You see, this specific crisis literature, this specific genre of apocalyptic text, it should be challenging us now even to wait with hope because all that is coming is worth hoping for. Note that in this formula, the, the suffering that is usually associated with the judgment has already come. Right? The temple has already been desecrated and destroyed. The people's sense of identity and belonging has already been shattered. Their understanding of God's presence in their lives and in the life of their community has already been leveled out, has to be reworked. And our text affirms that, verse 24, but in those days after that suffering, After that suffering, then they will see the coming of God with power and glory and the gathering of God's people from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. So therefore, and something shifts. See, Mark describes this vision of that day in those first nine verses of our text, but then Mark quickly moves to the second person imperative uh, tense, the you, starting in verse 33. You beware, you keep alert, and it continues, for you do not know when the time will come, therefore you keep awake, and what I say to you, I say to all, you keep awake. And this text is talking to three different audiences, right? The, the you is Jesus speaking to the disciples, sure, and also that you is Mark speaking to the readers who have just experienced and are still experiencing the suffering that comes with the destruction of the temple. But three, Mark is speaking to you today. Four times you are addressed. Four times to be on watch, to stay alert, to keep awake. You be alert. You be alert. Often I think we Christians, we use this text and texts like these to make it about our own salvation. We convince ourselves that Jesus is telling us to keep alert so that we don't miss the proverbial train that takes us to heaven that is filled with people who look like us and who think like us 
and who believe like us. We convince ourselves that there is only a limited space in this heaven, and if we don't keep awake, we will be left with the ones who are kept out, and nobody wants that. But I don't think that that's what this text is telling us. You see, I wonder if this text is less about the personal and more about the interpersonal, less about me and more about each other. I keep going back to verse 27. Then God will send out the angels and gather God's elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. God will gather in, it says. And if that's the vision of the world that we can agree upon, if that's a vision of the world that we can hope for, that we can believe in, then the point is that no one is left out. And I can't help but wonder if this text is telling us to be aware, to keep alert, to keep awake for those who are left out. Who are the people who are left out in our society? Who are the people who are left out in our communities? Who are the people who feel abandoned? Who are the people who feel alone? You be aware. You keep alert. You keep awake so that no one is left out. But so that no one is alone. Church, that's the good news. That the arrival of hope and peace and joy and love is worth waiting for because it is a vision of God's people gathered in, not cast out. And it's a good news that's worth working towards. So this Advent season, what are you staying awake for? What are you keeping alert for? Is it for your own salvation, whatever that might mean? Is it for knowing that you and yours are taken care of, that you and yours are comfortable, that you and yours have enough presents and food around the table? Or perhaps, Advent can be a time where we hope for the good news that all will be able to be around God's table together, sharing in the embodiment of hope and peace and joy and love. And that's on us. That's on us. And so my hope and my prayer this Advent season is that we do wait with anticipation, that we do wait with the joy of expectancy but that it also be a time of active waiting where we all can experience the good news of hope and joy and peace and love. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for this time and for this season that you call us into. We thank you for the ways that you are at work in our lives and in the work of our community and the work of the world. We pray that you would continue to stir in us, that you would reveal to us the places in a world that are broken, the places where there is loneliness and fear, the places where folks are kept out. We pray that you would inspire us to be bold in our actions, that we include everyone in. May that be our advent. 
that we experience together the fullness of hope and joy and peace and love. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. All right, so that was our first sermon here of the Advent season. Uh, tune in next week as we uh, talk about peace with uh, Pastor Kristen preaching. Uh, we look forward to talking to you then.